the Independent League world may be getting a little bit smaller, but we're going to cover that and much more here on the Indie Ball Report Podcast. We're back. Another episode. Episode number 33. 33. I know. And we got 33 different reasons why we're going to be doing a great show today. Mainly because there's going to be like a 14-team league. So that's 14 reasons. And there's like, we're going to come up with another kind full of reasons to make it work. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah, any case. So we're going to merge to talk about. Figure we could jump into that. But we're also going to talk about the uh, Atlantic League Championship. I guess kind of wrap up their season as well. Yep. Then I'm going to shamelessly plug the article that I'm writing that I'll probably <laughs> get around to writing and then put up sometime during the week. Sure for Monday, probably be Tuesday, but you know. That'll work. Exactly. In any case, you get an article. We'll talk about all that much more, but let's get going right here into merger talk. I did a lot of uh, posting about it, a lot of promoting about this on the Instagram, on the Twitter, IndieBallPod on Twitter, IndieBallReport on Instagram. Gotta Shame, get, shameless. Gotta get them in there. For those that are uninformed about this merger, we touched on it last week, or well, we did more than touch on it, we talked about it for about 20 minutes last week. It seems like it's gonna happen now, and I think we can take it out of rumor and put it into fact, although that's not really confirmed, but when you have one league saying, October 16th, 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time, big announcement, and then you have a team from one of the rumored leagues and another team from the other rumored league post post that information. It seems pretty much like uh, this is what it's going to be. Yeah, this is this is going to happen. I can say it's all probably but confirmed at this point. It's an open secret, shall we say, that it's going to happen at this point, and I think that it's very interesting, and, and I think we talked about it a little bit last week with the idea of the Super League, and now this is a really interesting thing and I think a good thing for both of these leagues. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I've gotten some people that are concerned about uh, certain aspects of it, which I suppose I, know, I didn't actually uh, preface the topic uh, just a minute ago. Basically, the Can-Am League and the Frontier League are going to merge to create one Super League, and rumor has it that it will have uh, Lake Erie and the Washington Wild things from the Frontier League shift over to what would be a Can-Am division, and Ottawa would no longer exist. Everything there sounds extremely plausible with all the promotion. It makes it sound like it's going to happen, like you're saying, and I, I gotta agree it is a good thing, I think. I think you're going to have a healthier single league now. I think, uh, barring what they do with that, uh, with their age restriction that the Frontier League has, I know it's capped at 27, for the maximum age you could be, I think they could really be a contending league, especially with the rule changes in the Atlantic League, I think mainly that mound being pushed back, supposedly in the second half of 2020, I think that's going to open the door for a strong possibility that this league could jump ahead, this Super Frontier League, which will be underneath the Frontier League banner, too. I think they could definitely jump ahead of it. I know there's been some concern from players saying, you know, if they keep it at 27, there's going to be a lot of guys on the Can-Am side whose careers are just going to be over because they don't have anywhere else to go. They're either too good for, like, a Pacific Association, where, you know, you're you're still making, like, maybe $500 a month, so you really can't... Uh, calling a professional league is, I think, a little generous, too. And the Western Association League that's starting up, that looks like it's going to be similar to that PAC Association League. 
and they're not going to be, a lot of those guys aren't going to be talented enough to make it in an American association. That's certainly something to worry about. Yeah, I agree. I think the details need to be ironed out here. I think that there's no doubt we need to get rid of that age limit, or at least like what you were saying last week, put that thing up to 37 where, you know, you've got it so everybody can get a chance to get in there and play. I think it's really unfortunate that the Frontier League had it in the first place, and I think it's important to get rid of it because you're going to drive away a lot of talented guys. I mean, like what, Matt Latos is probably one of the guys who could certainly jump over and has jumped over back and forth, you know, in between different independent leagues. So you have big-name guys who you can get in the Can-Am League. It's, it, it's definitely something that needs to be addressed as ironed-out details. But at the end of the day, look at the, the grand scheme of things. I absolutely think that the Frontier League, now under this old one big banner, the Super League, will be awesome. Yeah, no, I definitely think that's, that's the probable way this is going to go. I think it's going to be a really large league. I think, like you said, they, these things need to be ironed out. I assume that's going to be ironed out. In that announcement, we're going to get everything listed. I think it's a matter now of just, uh, you know, crossing T's and dotting I's and signing on the line. But still, I think uh, I think it is concerning for those other players. I think this is a real good opportunity for a lot of players and a lot of teams in general. I think the main concern I'm going to have here is uh, what happens with Ottawa. Should they not go under? Because now you have an odd number of teams. I'm sure that's not exactly great to have. And with Old Orchard seeming more now like just kind of a desperation move, you know, like that last second Hail Mary type thing. Uh, with that not coming through here, you're going to kind of be hard-pressed to find that uh, to find that balance in teams. And overall, I, that's really my only concern from this. Otherwise, I think it's a, a net positive. I agree. I think the Old Orchard Beach also could have been kind of a smoke screen, too. Yeah, it definitely could have been. Yeah, so I think that that definitely, unfortunately, might not happen, and I really am a little bit upset about that, because I do, <laughs> did think that the prospects of that happening would have been really good. Hmm. But um, I, I don't think you really have to worry too much with the Ottawa situation. I mean, it's something to think about, certainly, hmm. if they do survive, but that would be very unlikely at this point in time. Yeah, no, I, I, like I said, I don't think it's going to happen. I think I've also posted enough about it. It'd be kind of surprising to see them stick around now. I mean, for what, nearly a month past of what Miles Wolf's deadline was yeah. for getting a deal done. Deadline, and he quotes there. Exactly. And then, even though he had a buyer in place, there's no way in hell that City's going to be able to mobilize and get everything done, regardless of what team it is, in time for any sort of future planning. It's kind of just, it's unfortunate, but that's where we're kind of at on Ottawa. I know also concerns were, you know, how are some of these teams going to be able to afford to make these long trips out? Because the Frontier League is a Midwest league. There's no other way to really put it. It's, you know, Illinois, it's Iowa, it's Michigan, Ohio. Yeah. It's all those kinds of states. So it's not like it's a short bus trip. Not at all. I mean, you could justify flying there. Obviously, these teams don't really have the luxury of being able to afford planes to fly out there. Nope. So I think that is a concern. I know that it's been said that... uh It'll be one to two long road trips, which, from a perspective of uh, the finance point of view, it's a bit concerning to me that they're going to have to do that. Because you figure it's not just going to be like one week they're gone, like they were doing for the Canada trip. Right. It's going to be two or three weeks that they're going to be gone. I feel like in a crowded area like northern New Jersey is for entertainment, if you're gone for three weeks at a time, how much like momentum are you losing in that area where... A lot of people go, oh, well, let's go to a baseball game 
And then you look at the schedule and go, oh, well, the Myers are in Canada this week. The Jackals are out doing their West swing for the next three weeks. Yeah, they'll have to stagger it. The, the scheduling will have to be one team is always here while the other one is traveling. Hmm. Uh, certainly for that northern New Jersey market, you'll hmm. have to have that because, if, like you said, if that doesn't happen, you'll lose a lot of steam on both of those teams if they're both gone for, you know, huge swaths of the schedule. Exactly. That is a major concern for, for me, Melis, because if you look at, like, a lot of the weekend games, it's a lot of kids. So if you see, like, an eight-year-old kid, they ask, can we go to a game? Oh, they're not playing today. Can we go to a game? They're not playing today. You said that five days ago. Like, yeah. or the odds that, you know, it's, right. it's going to start to wear down there, and it's going to be a problem, I think, at least in part to that. But, I think it could be an issue, and I think, you know, like you said, there's realities to it. Although I don't think that it'll necessarily be a bad thing from a player perspective. It'll be kind of annoying to have to go ride on the, the bus all the way out there, but it will bring teams closer together, you know. Yeah, those, I know. those kind of trips are, are very fun and, and good. If you have a good group of guys, you can really bring everybody in. You know, especially, you know, when, when I played, uh, you know, high school and we, we would go down for a Florida trip, a little spring training in Florida trip, uh, we would do that and it would just bring the clo- team a lot closer together. So I think these trips can be, uh, positive things. It's certainly not easy, but positive. Yeah, no, definitely. It, another slight concern, though, is how sleeping in a hotel for three weeks is going to really affect you. Yeah. I understand already, you know, you're, you're kind of, uh, billeting everything. You know, you, you're staying at another family's house for the whole length there, but at least for that length of the season where, you know, you have that three or four month period, it's almost like a surrogate home. It's kind of like living in a dorm at college. You kind of get used to it. When you're on the road for three weeks, it really starts to wear you down after a while, regardless of the situation. So I, that is concerning to me. Plus, how much is this travel going to be costing is also yeah. another concern. Yeah. I assume the league will pay for part of it, but mainly it's going to be on the team. And so there's some teams, I'm sure, like, uh, Fireba, that already they're kind of 50-50 financially. They got a new, new, uh, president last week. In there, they got some, uh, extra corporate funding in there so they're going to be staying afloat they're safe for at least next year but how often can they afford to go all right we need to go to lake erie then we got to go to washington pennsylvania then we got to go to marion illinois and then we got to go you know juliet that may be for that week is going to start to really strap down these teams i think yeah what i think even a smart thing would be to do is kind of rotate when these teams do the long trip so maybe one year you'll have one division go out to another division, hmm. uh, and the next year have another division go out to that hmm. one. Kind of stagger it that way. I don't know how they're going to do it. We don't, obviously, yeah. we haven't even had uh, kind of concrete evidence that they are going yeah. to merge. I mean, we have plenty of assumptions. Right. And, exactly. You know, we have a lot of people, like, I have a lot of sources that are saying, like, yeah, it's, it's going to happen. It's gonna happen but. Uh, but we don't have those concrete <laughs> facts yet. And I think that, you know, those are some of those details we talked about yeah. that, that, you know, can be ironed out and can be worked with. Hmm. Uh, but I don't want it to negate from the, the positives that do exist. Yeah, no, there's obviously a lot of positives here. I just yeah. kind of want to raise some of the concerns here from it. I mean, know. definitely. Yeah, because I think the general consensus, oh, look at the opportunity here for having the Super League. You finally have, like, an independent league that has, I don't want to say a real number of teams, but all the other ones are, like, 8-6, you know. It's not really that diverse as far as teams go. There's only so many times you go, oh, cool, New Britain's in town. Oh, cool, Sugarland's in town. You know, there's only so many times you can see it. And even then, you're really playing, like, the same four or five teams over and over again. I mean, High Point's not making a lot of trips in the Atlantic League. Sugarland, 
you're again they're kind of in a similar situation where when a team comes in they're there for a week they'll have two teams there for two weeks at a time then they'll go on the road for a week and a half ten days and then they'll come back and then they'll do it again so there is that concern there i do like how it is that large of a league and people obviously are promoting them going oh well if they get rid of the age limit they could definitely steal atlantic league players which i think is certainly going to happen yeah i think i saw on one of the posts about this uh, craig stem was asking about that like what's the salary cap going to be which kind of tells me, oh, maybe he's looking to jump over there. Maybe, yeah. Uh, I know other players and other pitchers, especially pitchers, have all been kind of eyeing this, kind of waiting it out, saying, okay, what's that age from that? Yeah. Man, I think, uh, I think generally speaking, there is obviously a lot of positives that everyone's like really excited for, it, and rightfully so. I mean, I'm definitely excited for this merger. I think it's going to be a good thing. I've kind of come around on it. At first, I was like, oh, I'm not sure if I like this. It is shrinking the independent league world already. There isn't that much. Yeah. At least not that much of really kind of higher quality baseball. Right. And so by already taking one team out and jumping it into another, it is concerning. But at the same time, if you have to strengthen one league to make sure it exists and you have two weak leagues, strengthen the league that has the better shot at it. Yeah, I think strengthening the leagues is definitely a good thing and it's a good way to go. And, but I think you're absolutely correct to bring up that there are some realities to this that are going to make it logistically difficult. I mean, it is not, it is not all flowers and roses and going to be real easy for these two leagues to merge. There will be some difficulties and there will be a transitioning period. However, I do think once they kind of work it out and figure it out, then you do have a good chance of kind of battling with the Atlantic League for a lot of those fans. And I think it's something that if I was in the Atlantic League office, I'd be concerned. I would be like, well, you know, this is this is a big team. This is a big league. There's a yeah. lot of teams in there. <laughs> yeah, no, and there's definitely teams that have been there for a while. I mean, you have uh, a team in, like, I want to say Evansville. They've been there since roughly 95, 96. You have the Jackals, 98, yeah. Quebec, 99. Mm-hmm. You have these teams that have, you know, some length to them. They have stability that they've shown time and time again. So that is a bit on that kind of concerning side. I definitely also get the merger from the Can-Am side. I mean, you take out Quebec and you take out the Jackals. Everyone else was formed in this past decade. I mean, the third oldest team is Rockland, and that's 2011 born. Eight years, well, it's not an insignificant amount of time. But when you think of sports franchises, eight years really isn't terribly much. Nope. I mean, you shouldn't be going and having a, a premier team that was born eight years ago, and then another one that was born 2014, then two more that were born in... 2015, you know, it's not exactly a great look as far as stability goes when you keep losing these teams left and right, especially when, you know, Ottawa's kind of shaky Mm -hmm. as it is right now. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, it's a problem. I don't think it was their only move, right? I think Mm. they had two moves, which was kind of disband the league and, you know, kind of get rid of it or or do this merger. I I think at at some point, right? Maybe not today. I think next year would have been fine for them. I think even... 2021, they probably could have gotten away with. Yep. I think 2022 is where it becomes a problem now, mm-hmm. because you know Ottawa's going to be gone. By then, uh, either Toyota has figured out, or they're gone, and now a four-team league can't run. Right. It's right. as simple as that. Plus, Rockland, who knows when they're going to be trying to jettison themselves out. So, then you're down to three teams, and three teams is certainly not a league, especially when you have the same guy that owns two teams. Right. I, I agree completely, and I think that it, it adds a little bit more parity to the league. And I think really what it does is it adds more competition. The Super League is going to add more competition. Like you said, you're not going to have two owner, the same owner on two teams 
in a 16 league, um, you're going to have a little bit more diversity there in terms of ownership. And I, I just think that overall it's going to be a good move, but certainly as we've been talking about, a difficult move uh, once it, everything gets figured out. You know, m- most of these concerns I think are just kind of in the short term. I think in the long term, two, three, four, five years from now, if everything works out good, which obviously is a big if and everything has to be pressed with an if, then it will definitely work out well. I think then it, what will actually force is the Atlantic League to kind of go back to the drawing board on their partnership with MLB. I'm sure MLB will want to renew it. They have no reason not to. I mean, why wouldn't you want a testing grounds for everything? Yeah. Where you don't have to deal with unions, you don't have to deal with teams complaining that, no, I don't want you testing these rules on uh, my A-grade prospect. Yeah. You could just do it over there and it'd be all well and good and no one's going to bat an eye about it, except for, you know, folks like us. When you put it in that perspective, it makes a lot of sense for them to renew it. But if I'm the Atlantic League, I'm going, all right, I'm losing some quality pitchers. I'm noticing my attendance is dropping while their attendance isn't necessarily going up. It certainly isn't going down. So what we're losing is probably stabilizing them. They're going to have to go back to the drawing board or something. And changing prices and stuff is not an option because already I'm sure not terribly many of those teams are turning massive profit. They're probably turning a little profit or breaking even for the most part. And so you can't lower the prices. So what do you do? You got to get rid of the crazy rules. Any way to get rid of the crazy rules? And the partnership. Exactly. Now, obviously, there will be repercussions for that. So you got to weigh the pros and cons of that. I think it's raining in the news. I think it's, it, if you're going to continue this partnership with the MLB, there's got to be a realization that you got to kind of keep baseball to be baseball. There are certain things you need to do. There, like you said, the widening of the bases, certain rules, who cares? You know, exactly. certain things like that aren't a big deal. The trackman, even, I'm not against that. I think hmm. that's okay. I think it's, it's creative, it's innovative, and it's interesting. Moving the mound back. I mean, that's ridiculous. I know, stuff like that. I mean, we're going to talk about it later when we kind of wrap up the yeah. Atlantic League this year. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to go into too much depth right now, but yeah, like, like you said, with the bases and things like that, it's a safety thing. It makes things safer. I don't notice it at all. And frankly, if anything, I think it could cut down reviews and stuff because how many times do you see close plays at first that now with a wider base, it's safe. It's safe. I mean, done. Exactly. And that increases a little bit of offense, which I know they like. Yeah. I know it's a, a very minute level, but still, it's anything is something. Anything is something. And, and that's one of those ones where I was like, oh, okay, that, that's good. That's smart. That makes exactly. sense. It makes sense. But, uh, you know, kind of get, to get back to the Super League here, I think that what's going to happen there is you're going to get those, like I said, those pitchers who really don't like the mound. And you're also going to get a lot of fans who don't like the idea of change. It's not necessarily that the changes are going to be so egregious on the field in the Atlantic League that you can't watch it. But I do think that there will be certain fans who are like, well, I just want to go see a, a normal baseball game. I don't want to have to go watch the, these new rules. And, you know, there will be more next year, guaranteed. Exactly. You just want to be able to kind of do what you do on a minor league game, which is kind of tune in, tune out, tune in, tune out. I mean, you're not watching it in the same way that, you know, like a diehard Red Sox fan is going to be watching Game of Fenway. Exactly. There, while I don't want to say there aren't diehards in independent league baseball, because there certainly are. I mean, we've seen so many of them. Everyone's thinking, oh, well, what about this guy for their own team right now? Right. But the, you got to understand it's a lot fewer and a lot more isolated than in a major league type setting. So. Right. Right. You can only do so much. And I think that it would be very important for this league to get rid of that age limit, and really try to cater to those fans, those fans mm-hmm. who like traditional baseball, and even maybe market it that way. 
uh, mm-hmm. would be an interesting juxtaposition between the two leagues. And I'm not saying you're going to get, you know, all the fans from the Atlantic League. It's going to be this big Yeah, I know. It's not going to be like some giant uh, migration. Right. We'll be know? a mass exodus from the Atlantic League. But what, what, I'm, what it is is if you have, a you know, the casual fan who's looking at it and going, would I rather just watch a baseball game or look at these, you know, weird rules? Sometimes they'll just go, you know, I just want to go see the game. I just want I go watch the baseball game. It's not worth going up to Bridgewater to see these weird, crazy rules. I'd rather just go to see a Jackals game and go to uh, Montclair or Little Falls and go see that. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's one of those things, too, where you got to go, okay, so if I go to Bridgewater, I'm going to pay, roughly speaking, the same price to get in. I mean, everyone's right. going to be within 2 or $3 to like each other. Bucks, yeah. You know, pretty negligible. Once you get in, okay... So everything, well, they do have nicer stuff in the pro shop. It's going to be about four times more expensive. Oh, yeah. Anything at concessions, double the price of it that you'd find at, like, a Yogi Berra or a uh, Skylands. Now, granted, everything is nicer in the Lackley Park. I mean, we got to be honest with ourselves here for a minute. I mean, I mean, I, I agree. I think facilities wise, everything is nicer. Yeah. I, I don't know how much difference there is with the food quality. Uh, it's about the same, I'd it's say. About I mean, it's ballpark food. I mean, it's you have to have an understanding food. what it is. Right. You gotta, you gotta realize what it is. But I do think that you make a really good point about the Atlantic League. The prices, they can't go any higher for concessions. Like, exactly. Certainly for the Patriots. I don't know about other teams, but they can't go any higher. I'm sure Long Island's roughly the same. I, would I mean, well, let's see where else we got. I mean, Maybe Sugarland's cheaper, and same thing with High Point because they are in the South. Probably, yeah. Um, Southern Maryland's probably like a hair cheaper, but roughly speaking, the same. York and Lancaster, I can't imagine, are much, much different from Somerset. No, they're probably very similar. Yeah, uh, and as we know, New Britain's not going to be around next year, so I mean, it doesn't really matter for what their their pricing is per se. When you come down to trying to get that edge to kind of jump ahead of that, where you, I think you made a good point. This new Frontier League is going to, I think, make its bones by marketing yourselves as America's pastime today. Where, look, we don't have any crazy rules. The craziest rule we had is an extra innings you start with the guy on second. Which, that's just how minor league baseball works now, and frankly, I don't hate it because that's not around in postseason when the games matter. You want to put in the regular season? Honestly, if it's like 85 and muggy as hell, and yeah. like August 2nd, and it goes into extra innings, I want the game over. Yeah, and even if it's, like, even more so, like, a, a July, exactly. know, July 30 of July 18th kind of a game where it's muggy and it's hot like you're talking about, and you've got a, got a guy on second, sometimes it's it's good to get it, get it out exactly. of Exactly. Like, if it's a Miners versus, you know, Quebec like this year, it's like, okay, one team's the best in the league, one's the worst. This game's going to have very little, if any, impact in the standings. Yeah. It's the end of a road trip for Quebec. Everyone wants to just get out of here. The Myers want to be able to get on the road and get up to Canada so they can start in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Quebec wants to get back home. Let's just get out of here. Let's get this game over with already. So if that's the most radical thing you're doing, perfectly cool with that. Yeah, I agree. I think that that's actually a really good rule, especially in the regular season. I know I wouldn't love it in the postseason. Oh, postseason, I would hate it. Yeah, I think it would be really bad there. But I think it would be, it's really good in the regular season. It keeps it going. It makes it really interesting. So if you do get into extra innings, that added pressure, uh, kind of like, what do you call it in hockey when they have the uh, shootout, yeah, the shootout type thing where it's like, this is going to happen. Oh, or like you put less guys in the ice or whatever with the, yeah. like they do in hockey. Yeah, so, you go three on three first. Yeah, you go three on three. So I think that's really uh, something that's interesting and, and Major League Baseball might even consider integrating that for the regular season. Supposedly that's one thing they're considering. Yeah. Players' unions are not high on it. 
But as it's one of those things I think is going to wind up happening, like a three batter minimum. Uh, track man's going to happen sooner or later. I mean, that's too many people complain about the strike zone, so it's going to happen. But yeah, I think yeah. the track man is, is not a bad thing, and we'll get to that later. Yeah, but just getting back to I think yeah, just kind of wrapping it up, wrapping it up on the Super League. I think overall, my take is that it's going to be a good thing. Hmm. I think it's going to be something that's going to be very good for both leagues, but primarily the Can-Am League, getting them out of this little yeah. bit of a sticky situation they've been in. Um, and really, overall, I think it will be good for the players, especially if they get rid of that age limit. It will be really good for them, and it will be a much healthier league. And like I said, it could push the Atlantic League in really interesting ways, especially if they create a dichotomy between themselves and the Atlantic League. Yep, no, I, I know I've sounded awfully negative about it so far. I just want to kind of be like that balance to it. I do think it's going to be a good thing. I think it's going to give those Hamley teams new life. I think the Frontier League also likes it a lot. I mean, they lost Traverse City and Normal. That was like our first story we did here. It's one of the very first. They lost those two to start the year. They lost River City this year, and they lost Rockford not terribly long ago. I mean, you lose four teams in five years. You're trending the wrong direction. You're able to now replace all those teams with this influx of those five. I think it's going to definitely be a benefit there. Given that the other option is really, you know, about 120 less jobs being available, this is definitely the better option. I do really hope that they raise that age limit. I'm fine with it being 35. I'd like it to see it just gone altogether. <clears throat> you know, if it's at least 35, I can live with that. And I hope it works out all well. I'm really just waiting on that age limit to really go all in on it. There's obviously some concerns about it. Once those concerns are handled, bringing the travel and the cost and that age salary cap combination there, once those are handled, I'm perfectly cool with it. Although there is one other issue with this whole merger. There is now going to be in this Frontier League two teams that are named the Miners. <laughs> Sussex and Southern Illinois. I, I don't think that would be the end of the world. I think those will both stay the same. That's the thing. We're all, like, when I say we all, I mean everyone that's commenting on these posts, we're all wondering. Are they going to change the name? I don't think either club is going to change the name. I don't. I don't see El Dorso giving in and changing the name of his team. That's what I don't see. No, no, I would. I would not imagine that 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 would happen. El Dorso's a big personality, so I don't see him going and saying, "Sure, I'll change it. Goodwill for all." I think you can go. Well, I built this brand for the past five years. I want to keep my name. And it's a great brand for exactly. the area. It's got historical roots there. It makes sense. It was Sussex County, New Jersey was a big mining area back in the day. Yeah. Nah, nah, nah. This is, it's going to stay. It's going to stay. Yeah. I feel like it's going to stay. I feel like Southern Illinois is more liable to change it. Yeah, but I think they'll but, both. Exactly. I don't see that being that big of a deal. I no. think it's gonna, this can also just be one of those little quirks that makes baseball fun. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, it's got too much. The Miners are playing the Miners today. The Miners are playing the Miners, yeah. That'd be a fun championship series. That would be fun, right? The Miners won. Uh... That, that'd be fun, though. I could see that going either way, though. Go up a poll about that. Yeah, Should be... they change the name or not? Yeah, that's a good poll right there. And if they do, what do you want the name to be? <laughs> Go back to the Skyhawk. Doing the Skyhawk video, actually. I saw a, uh, a little video I took part to incorporate into the video. Uh-huh. That had an interview with Dorso saying, Every team that's been in this ballpark named after a bird has failed, so we're not naming this team after a bird, because they all fly <laughs> away. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's, that, he's got a little bit of a sense of humor, too. No birds. No birds. 
And then we can now move on to the Atlantic League Championship. We're going to just kind of break down that championship series, kind of give you a breakdown of Long Island, and then we'll recap the year that was in the Atlantic League. Obviously, the Ducks won. If you weren't aware of it, you are now. They won in five games, take their fourth championship over the Sugarland Skeeters. It was like the third time in four years we had this matchup. Sugarland prevailed the past two years, was not able to pull it out this time around, and the Ducks get to waddle back to Long Island, their first championship since 2013. They also set a team wins record at 86 wins, a pure dominant season all the way around. Yep, wire to wire, just a great team. You know, they were one of the best all year, and they just continued their dominance. They rallied together like I thought they might, and uh, were able to get the, the victory. I think that they were, they were a special group. They were able to kind of get through some of the injuries and people leaving and contract purchases and all of those kind of things that happened. They were able to get through those things and still be champions. It's a team we'll look back on for years and say, wow, that was, that was truly a dominant team. You know, I think that's one of those things that you don't really think about. When you say resilient, you think of a team that, you know, had to fight and claw their way in. You don't really think of a team that, you know, was getting close to pushing a uh, Atlantic League record for wins in a season. But when you're a good team in one of these types of leagues, you're going to be rated for your players. And they just kept finding new guys to come in and fill the roles. You had Den Decker and high sleeve. Okay, that's fine. We're going to find other guys to come in. You know, you lose half your pitching staff, it seemed like. So that's fine. We're going to replace them with Bayato and Brendan Beachy. We're going to just keep moving and rolling. And that's it was something that's very impressive. And more so than that, though, there really was no weak spot on this team. Normally with a team, you got, especially in league salary caps, you have to say, okay, we're going to build around this aspect. We're going to build around that aspect. We're going to have to make a decision here. Where is going to be our key, key target? They said, eh, no, we'll build around both. And they did. And they did it very successfully. And that's why they had 86 wins in a 140-game season, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think that absolutely no team that was going to kind of beat them all year. And then once we got into the finals, Sugar Land, you know, they kind of knocked off the rust of the second half and really got on to, you know, swinging back at them. And I really did think that they you know, my prediction uh, at the end there was going to be a shaky one, to say the least, uh, on that last show. But uh, Long Island kind of proved me right just because sometimes you got to rely on a team that's, you know, like I said, resilient. And I think that was what they showed. Also, just kudos to Sugarland for taking the team that was that good all the way to the end, right? I mean, all the way to the end there. And so I think that both teams were great. And it's a shame somebody had to lose. <laughs> you know, I definitely, I definitely agree with that. Sugarland did a great job. Uh, I mean, if I'm a Sugarland fan, I'm a bit annoyed that uh, Pete Incognelia was tossed from a playoff game and then suspended for Game 5. Yeah. I'd be very annoyed about that. I'm not sure what he said, but whatever he said must have earned that suspension. I mean, it it got to really say something egregious. I don't necessarily disagree with throwing him out if he said something over the line. If he went over the line, then gun him. But I don't, I, you really have to cross a line pretty far to suspend him for a Game 5 winner-take-all. It, it shouldn't be anything with words. <laughs> Look, we're, we're grown men. Like, they're grown men on that field. There's there's no no word that should be used that should, you know, irk you that badly. This is professional baseball. Give me a break. <laughs> like, words are used. I don't know what he said, and I don't want to speculate that he said something way over the line or not. Right. But, I mean, whatever it was, Fred DeJesus must have had a good reason to get him. 
Oh, I don't have any problem with him getting thrown out. I, I think that's what managers do, right? That's yeah. part of their job. Somehow. I know. They were losing that game. Go get yourself thrown out. Go Maybe get, inspire the team. Yeah, spark the team a little bit. Yeah. I, I absolutely think it was egregious. Even if, unless he had physical contact, like pushing the umpire or something yeah. like that, I think it, outside of that, there's no way you're suspending the manager of a team that's one game away from winning the championship. No yeah, no, and it was, and I see why he was annoyed at that call. When you look back at that play, it's yeah, like Mazzilli makes some sort of Derek Jeter like throw, but it is late. I mean, like he he should have well been safe and call him out in that kind of a game. I understand it, but once again, I I don't agree with suspending him unless he really crossed the line. Right, and we we just don't know exactly. Uh, you can't we can read lips, and we don't have real a reasoning. So you know, but but still, I mean, even in that situation. Like I said, they're grown men out there. They they can handle a little bit of jabbing. There, there's no no need to be uh, you know rabbit ears with it. Just kind of let him let him do what he needs to do to get his team fired up. Yeah. Any case, kind of continuing on the manager talk there. I think part of the reason Long Island's so resilient is Wally Backman's motivator. The guy knows how to get his team going. I mean, they fell down how many times in the series? They weren't performing for certain games, and then they go out and they win the games they need to win. And I think that you have to at least go. While he is passionate, sometimes in the wrong ways, sometimes at the wrong times, when you need him to perform, he performs. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that personal issues aside, I think that Wally Backman has done a great job this year. There's no way around it. I mean, he has been probably the best manager all year, wire to wire. I mean, he did what he's supposed to do with a talented team. But he, like we said, there's a lot of things they need to overcome, a lot of guys that they lost. You know, to start the year were there, and, and to end the year were definitely not there. So I think that they he did a really, really good job with that. Um, however, like I said, there are some uh, personal issues there. But with those aside, I mean, he had a fantastic season and really should probably be, uh, you know, should be in contention for one of the best managers in the Atlantic League. You have to look at it that way now. Exactly. I definitely agree with that. And I'd even agree to the point of saying, you know, have to look enough for manager of the year across independent league baseball. I think he... Definitely is up there. Yeah, no doubt. The Ducks had a good year. I think we kind of covered the championship series enough. Uh, Sugarland, again, a good effort by them. They went ahead and they responded to a lot of the doubt we had said about them. I mean, we were very vocal about them, you know, not performing the second half and saying, oh, York's going to handle them easily. York's the hot hand. You go with the hot hand. Uh, the people that, you know, post in this kind of community were saying the same thing. Like, oh, look, I, I got to go with the hot hand in York. And they, they responded. They said, no, this is still our division to win. They managed to win in the postseason. And then they went out and they gave the best team in the Atlantic League a run for the money and scared them for a while. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's a testament to their resilience in a way, but more so that even when they didn't have everybody going, the guys that were ready to perform, they still performed. And they came to the ballpark, they played, and they did the best they could. And unfortunately, this year, it fell a little bit short. They're not going to be back-to-back champions, but you can't win them all. And, I mean... You go over a championship series, what, three out of the last four years? That's that's a very successful tenure, especially you walk away with two championships in that time span. No doubt. I mean, that was a, that's something we brought up earlier in the year, just how great this organization is in Sugarland, And this team really embodied you know, those, those intangible qualities that you look for in a team of resilience and getting smacked down on the mat a couple of times where we thought, ooh, are they even going to, you know, make the... You know, they're a gritty team where it's just like, okay, they're going to fight through this. Right, like early in the year, they had some real... I know, like down the stretch in that first half, York was right on their heels. I mean, 
And that was that was right in the hero. We were like, okay, should Gene Santi be playing right now? He's not batting 100. And right. at the time, it's like, oh, well, they got such a big lead. No one else in this division is going to catch him. Yeah. And then down towards the stretch, it's like, oh, okay, it's getting a little risky. And if, if that didn't work out, if York would have won, like, three or four more games and they would have missed out. Yeah. All of a sudden, and they would have missed it because they wouldn't have had the wild card. Right. Because the wild card would have then, or at least the one that opened up, would have went to, I believe, the Patriots would have taken that. Right. Now, granted, you could argue. Who deserves it more in that case? Yeah, but we'll get to that in a minute. You would have missed the playoffs and we would have been coming back to that month long stretch where he couldn't hit his way off a paper bag and going, you shouldn't have been playing. You should have worked them in otherwise. Yeah. It worked out for them and they definitely rebounded. So it's a very gritty team like you're alluding to. Yeah, a gritty team. And just, uh, I think we have to say that, uh, you know, the managing was really smart throughout the year and just a really overall good performance from this team, even with their kind of peaks and valleys that they did have. Uh, their bullpen's terrible, though. <laughs> I mean, the reason they they kind of uh, cough it up there was their bullpen. Just your pitching staff in general just... It was, too, it was too inconsistent. It's too leaky. It's too inconsistent. Uh, they need to sure that up for next year. And certainly, I think they will address that in the offseason because mm. you can't look at it and go, yeah, we did a great job. I mean, They're one of those teams that won't be bothered by the mouth thing one way or the other because I think they... As far as playoff teams, just in the Atlantic, like, there is always that tier of teams. You have that upper tier where you have, like, Somerset that's always going to contend for a large part of the season. You have Long Island, always going to contend. Sugarland, always going to contend. Then you have that kind of middle tier of, like, your York, your Lancaster, that are, like, teams where they go either way. It's not too surprising than everybody else. They're going to be one of those teams where it doesn't really matter to them because they're always going to contend with those changes. In that top tier, they're probably the lowest for the pitching. So it's not going to get worse for them. It can't get much worse. Exactly. Like, how many guys are you actually going to lose due to those rule changes? If anything, everybody else's pitching quality going down yeah. helps you because it's going to play your strengths in batting. As an offensive team, yeah. Obviously, these rosters turn over so much it's hard to know from year to year. But yeah. I still think that offensively seems to be their focus and philosophy. It has been, and it's been an extremely successful one. Exactly, can't knock something that works. So. Yeah, if it ain't broke, I don't expect them to fix it. So I think we can kind of recap the, the season that was in the Atlantic League now, at least. Just some of the major things that happened over the year. We'll get to the role changes towards the, the latter half, I suppose, because that's really where we're going to go into some depth about these things. We'll only cover, like, the major ones. I think the minor ones, uh, they kind of speak for themselves. Right. I mean, timing between innings and things like that, it's like, there's not really a way you could be for or against it. Whatever. <laughs> exactly. It's kind of neutral. Yeah. But uh, just kind of recapping things. I think York Surge was one of those major storylines for me. Yeah. I think them just coming out of nowhere, really, for a large part of the year to rebound from, like, a really bad six weeks yeah. and then turn to one of the hottest teams around. I mean, they were once a 13-win team in mid-June yeah. and then turned it around to be nearly a 70-win team. Yeah, and make the playoffs and... Really push Sugarland a little bit. Exactly. I mean, they were they definitely jumped up out of nowhere. Their bullpen to start year was horrendous. It was terrible. It was god awful. Just really terrible. Their starters really didn't look good after you got past Detweiler, which when he left and then became part of the White Sox rotation for a while. Yeah. That didn't help them out much either. And all in all, they looked really hopeless in June. And then they turned around, and I'm I'm just very shocked they were able to do that. I'm obviously the batting was always there. Um, oh, yeah. that was never really a doubt. Even said, you know, their batting is they're good, but their pitching is just always going to handicap them. And you know, they 
they turned it around. And a lot of us wrote them off for dead. Yeah, I mean, I certainly wrote them off for dead, and I gotta, uh, I apologize before, and I will, uh, give my, uh, give props to them. They completely proved me wrong. I thought they were gonna be terrible. <laughs> you know, I thought they were gonna have 25 wins. Um, and they were great. They, they really turned it on, like you're saying, last half of the year, even a little bit before then. Mm-hmm. And they really turned it on and, you know, showed themselves to be one heck of a ball club. There's no, no other way to put it. Offensively, they're a powerhouse. Uh, they were just mm-hmm. a powerhouse. Pitching wise, they got by. You know, they did what they needed to do. Yeah. And that was really impressive. I was impressed with them. And obviously, you can't not be impressed with that organization. What they've mm-hmm. done with their ballpark is unbelievable. And, you know, just a, a first-class organization all the way around. You know, top-to-line organization there. Their ballpark, they definitely could tell it was going to be a uh, all-star hosting year. So it definitely is a beautiful ballpark. Hopefully, we'll get down there next year. Yeah, and no doubt. We'll make a point of doing that, actually. Mm-hmm. Do a whole, we'll do the York and Lancaster swing. And, you know, who knows? I'm not sure how far Southern Maryland is from there. But if we got a week, just do the loop there. Yeah. But uh, kind of moving on from them, because I think, you know, they were clearly dominant. Von Stroman stepped up. Dotel woke up. To look at everyone there. Castillo stepped up. I mean, we're in, Castillo stepped up big time, yeah. Castillo stepped up. Telvin Nash, I mean, oh, yeah. 41 bombs. That's just unreal. Huge props to Telvin Nash. Yeah. That's almost impossible to do in these leagues. Exactly. Isaiah Tejada, again, another guy he had for average, but he also had some pop. Yeah. He did his job. I mean, everybody just stepped up there. It's next man up there and everybody just did a tremendous job yeah. from that June point on. It's a really remarkable turnaround. I'm not sure how many storylines you had to kind of look at this year, but uh, High Point was definitely another one for me. High Point's another one. High Point is really interesting. I thought they were going to start hot. We both kind of yeah. thought they would start hot and then kind of fizzle a little bit, but they really started out strong and stayed all the way strong and made the playoffs. You know, really were a, just a good team. I mean, it's a it's a shame that they didn't win the whole thing. I kind of was yeah. rooting for that a little bit. Um, yeah, I thought they were going to play Long Island a lot more difficult I, than they did. I thought so as well, and it's a, it's a shame that they didn't. But, you know, again, I think it's great things happening for North Carolina independent league baseball as a whole yeah. <laughs> with the Gastonia deal. So, yeah, no, I think uh, High yeah. Point's awesome and High, had a good year. Yeah, High Point's that one team I'm really looking forward to in two or three years from now when they have Gastonia in there. And they're going to be going back and forth. They'll have that rivalry brewing. You'll really see a lot more. Next year, I think we're going to see those sales jump up because we're going to finally have a full off season. There'll be a proven product that you can promote saying, look, this is a good team. Look at all that we did. It's a beautiful ballpark. You should come down, buy your season tickets, buy your ticket plans, get into this ballpark. And also with this full off season now, the ballpark's all set up. Yep. We don't have to have any more delays. You can focus on getting those group sales in there. I wouldn't be surprised to see their attendance go from the roughly 2,000 that it was at, mainly due to those lack of group sales, jump up to, say, 3,000 or even 3,500. I think that is a very realistic possibility. I think very realistic, especially with all the excitement that will be around Gastonia Mm. coming in the next year. I absolutely think that their sales will jump up, and I think the state of North Carolina independent league baseball is fantastic right now. It is a great time to be a fan in North Carolina, and I just think that the... High Point Rockers really kind of embody that, right? That that all that promise that is there, and the, their season really embodies the hope that uh, I have going forward. You know, I definitely am excited there, and like you were saying, we both had them kind of starting off hotter. I think I was a little bit more high on them to begin with. I was like, oh, they're going to come out guns blazing that first month, and then it's just going to be a nice steady decline. Right. But everyone's going to go, oh, well, it's an expansion team. A lot of these guys aren't really Atlantic leaguers. They'll kind of fizzle out the ones that work and don't work. 
but Jamie Keith built together a terrific roster. They came together. A lot of guys stepped up, and they put up a tremendous fight. They <laughs> went, they nearly won a division with two Titans in it. Yep. And they beat out Somerset for that wildcard spot, which is very impressive. And either half you look at, they were right there. I mean, even the first half, yes, they finished third, but they didn't finish by that far off. I believe no. they're only like a game or two back of Somerset and only about five back of Long Island. Yeah. It was really, it was a dogfight all the way, and I think that goes a long way to the upper management of the team and the manager himself in Jamie Keith, guys like Billy Horn, all of them. Yeah put together a hell of a squad this year. And it showed on the field, and I think it's going to show off the field in the next coming year. Absolutely. I think uh, my last point I'm going to make on high point is Jamie Keith, really. I mean, just really an all-around, world-class guy, can really uh, know how to assemble a roster, mm-hmm. know how to put guys on the field in the right positions to make things happen, really good things happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that that was a great pickup, and one of the most important pickups of the entire offseason for the Rockets. Oh, absolutely. I think he's another guy, like we were saying, Wally Backen could be all across independent league. If you just keep it isolated to the Atlantic League, I think Jamie Keefe has to be one or two on your ballot. He has to be either the best or the second best guy from what he managed to do this year. Yeah. So, uh, what other storylines do you got from this year? So, uh, mine is a little, uh, little bit of a, uh, whoopsie. And my part was the, my biggest story was the Somerset Patriots. Obviously, mm. I had big expectations for them. Uh, I'm a little bit of a homer, I can't lie. Uh, and I really yeah. wanted to see them uh, carry home a championship banner this year, and their offense just didn't have it. They just couldn't hit the ball uh, consistently enough. They weren't scoring enough runs. They didn't get timely hits. They left a lot of guys in scoring position all year, and they just didn't get the job done offensively. Uh, their pitching was good all year, even when Kubiak did leave. I think they were still pretty good. Uh, pitching wise, but they just didn't ever really get the bats going in the way that they needed to, uh, particularly in the second half. The first half was a little bit better, but the second half, once they lost those dominant pitchers, they really got into trouble. So that's kind of, that was one of my biggest storylines of the year was how disappointing they were towards the second half of the year and how disappointing it was to see them kind of fizzle out and not make the playoffs. Yeah, I don't just want to kind of preface this because everyone's going to be saying, oh, you always talk about Somerset. Well, First off, we're in northern New Jersey. We know them the best of all the Atlantic League teams. Secondly, like a solid 50% of our audience is from that northern New Jersey Somerset market. That's part of the reason for the focus on it. Right. Then also, they're just a compelling case study, especially this year. I mean, if it was like any other year where it was like, oh, they went to the postseason, they lost. Then it would be like, oh, okay. Whatever. You know, they did what they were supposed to do. <laughs> this year, they just, they had an inverse record. They looked like guns blazing, like you said in that first half. They looked good. Their hitting was while sporadic, they could be peeled down by pitching. And the pitching often did. It really wasn't until that last series against Long Island that you saw everything kind of go off the rails. I think yep. Kubiak had his worst start, or if not one of his worst starts, where he gave up four runs, and it was just about it. And that's when you kind of knew, okay, they're going to have to win the second half. Long Island has him now. Because they're going to be up two games on him with only one game against left to play, and then one series... And High Point has the easier series. Yep. So, or not High Point, uh, Long Island oh, has wow, the easier okay. series, my mistake. So, odds are we're not going to win it. We're going to need a lot of luck to bail us out here. And then that didn't come. And then Kubiak left. And then Antonini left. Yep. And then Oberholzer left. And then Dormady left. More guys kept leaving without anybody really coming in. There really was no savior coming in to help you. Nope. 
I'm sure, you got Paredes in there. You got mm-hmm. Espinal in there. Kangaroo was very consistent for the whole year. He's like the only guy that you could count on consistently to hit. I think yeah. I don't think he did below 300 for his average for a solid 80% of the year. Yeah. I trust those guys, but outside of that, I don't trust any of the bats in their lineup. They couldn't perform when they needed to, and just a really, really disappointing turn of events. Absolutely. So. Disappointing turn of events, and that was one of my top stories there, that they just didn't, didn't meet my expectations. They had a lot of people's expectations mm. for the year. But I, I do think they'll be they'll be back next year. They've got a great organization structure in place there, so I think they'll be they'll be okay. And yeah, yes, you'll have to pardon our, our bias. We are very close yeah. uh, to the uh, both the Jackals, Miners, mm-hmm. and of course the Patriots. So and Rockland and Rockland, of course. Yep. Uh, so we do talk about those teams quite a bit. <laughs> exactly. That's also where the bulk of our audience is from. So you kind of got to play to the audience there. I mean, we still cover other teams, so I mean, it's not like it's that concerning, but, no. you know, it's just there, it's present. Fair to point out. I think really the last kind of point that I'm going to out of the year, before we get to the rule change, is that ending with New Britain, with that going down, and what that kind of represents in general, where it seemed like from the very beginning, I know me and Will talked about this a lot, how it seemed like they were just kind of a slapdash team, where it's just like, okay, we're losing a lot of teams right now, uh, New Britain just opened up. That's a good market. They got a decent enough stadium. Throw them there. Yeah, I agree. And uh, obviously, you're talking about AOPD yeah. News, uh, Will Thompson. Yeah. Uh, and he's fantastic, great source. Uh, definitely mm-hmm. go look at his stuff. But yeah, so I think that you're absolutely right. The both mm-hmm. of you are spot on. This was a slapdash team put together, and it's sad that the fans weren't able to have mm-hmm. that still continue in the Atlantic League. I'm not sure what the update is on that. I haven't checked it. Yeah, uh, no, nothing, nothing, yeah, nothing, nothing new. Last week. Still, we don't know. I don't imagine, uh, I'll have terribly much news until they announce something. Yeah. I mean, it's a shame. And I, you know, I just, I feel bad for the fans. Hmm. They've got, like you said, they've got a, a core group of maybe 20, 30 fans hmm. who are diehard. I mean, like, you know, fan page diehards. Um, yeah. And so it's kind of a shame to see the, the, that happen. And, you know, obviously nobody wants to see that happen, but. Overall, I just think that you're right. It's a slapdash team, and you know it kind of is. This is a little, a little strong, but it's certainly like losing the weaker links, and you're moving in Gastona, which has a little bit more of a promise to it in the market. Exactly. I think obviously in the short term it's not going to help. I think it's almost like when you're in the woods and you cut yourself. Well, I gotta stitch up the wound. It's gonna hurt because I don't have any way to numb this, but it has to happen. It's unfortunate. Now, this isn't a knock on the players or the staff or what it is. They weren't really put in a position to succeed. Right. So, like Ottawa, I can't really say how much this is a reflection on the market itself or how much this is a reflection on the people running the show when you were never really given the tools to succeed. I mean, you know, I could tell you to run a mile barefoot, and if you run it in 20 minutes, I can't tell you if that was fair or not because you had to run barefoot. Yeah. On that front, I... I feel bad for the fans, like you're saying. I mean, even the stadium itself. I forget where I saw a picture from of the outside of the stadium. It still has a Bridgeport Bluefish logo on. That team hasn't existed in nearly three years. So it's clear not even maintaining the ballpark. From what we heard from Will when we had that lost recording, yeah. that ballpark was not in good shape. Nope. It was really not great. I mean, if it's so bad that not even the, the new Frontier League, Can-Am League hybrid isn't even considering you when it could easily add you, probably get Old Orchard in there, make it a clean even seven on each side or seven and then only have to move one over mm-hmm. for the sake of leveling everything out at sixteen. Yeah. When they don't even want to do that, that sets volumes. It says a lot. 
and it's just, it's really unfortunate because I strongly thought that, you know, at least from an on the field perspective, they're finally starting to put it together. Mm-hmm. They'd always have their like late in the half surge where they'd start off poor and then they surge up like in towards the end of the middle part, beginning of the end part of the half. And then they just trail off and they'd just be too little too late. Mm-hmm. So it's unfortunate there. And I do think there's potential in New Britain, but I just don't think under the current situation we've had basically a legal team. We had Bolton there, who had no real connection to the city, so he has no incentive to invest in the ballpark, invest in the community. He just saw some money pit and started to pull out. We got Gastona coming in, and, you know, hopefully that's good. I mean, another bold point, too, is Gastona for this year. I mean, that's obviously a big thing, too. But, you know. Yeah, I agree. I think New Britain is uh, an interesting case, but I think it is definitely time to move on to those uh, rule changes, because that hmm. is definitely something I'm chomping at the bit to get on that. Let's kind of get started with some of the lesser ones. Like we said, we're not going to give a lot of time for, like, timing between innings and in the uh, base sizes. I think we both kind of agree with that, mm-hmm. uh, that they're fine. Yep. You know, I, I'm not really upset with them. I can't really feel one way or the other about them. They're, they are what they are. Yeah, they're fine. I mean, I, I don't have any problems with those minor rule changes. I mean, those kind of things are fine to tweak and look at, and mm-hmm. I think that I thought that was going to be the main purpose of this deal, and uh, but we did get some interesting big changes. Yep, I think the first one of those I kind of want to bring up is uh, is the pickoff move that came in the second half, where it essentially destroyed any sort of major pickoff move you can have. And I gotta say, I don't like it. Oh no, I, I don't like that one at all. I think you need to be able to hold runners on. I think that helps catchers. You know, now it's hard to to actually has the catcher's pop time and his ability to throw guys out because, you know, there's no uh, no way to do it because if you're not holding guys on, forget about it. I agree with it. I don't like it. I think it, it basically gives you a free pass to steal. Yep. If you have enough speed, it doesn't matter how large your lead is because they make any sort of meaningful move to go and pick you off. Either you're going to see it coming and be able to just trot back in the first or... They're not going to be able to do it at all, or they're going to be a box. So one way or the other, you're going to wind up on second base. So I don't like that. I think the next thing kind of up is going to be um, that stealing first, where I'm, this is one of those ones I'm still on the fence about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I really, I want to dislike this rule. Um, I really want, from a baseball-like purist standpoint, I want to dislike this rule, but I think it's an interesting way to speed games up. Uh, however, like you said, I'm very on the fence about it, I think, if players are really uncomfortable with it, they should get rid of it. Right? I think it, at the same time, though, they have the option to just not steal. Like yeah, they but, could just stay in the batter's box. Yeah, but why would you do that? Right? Like, if I mean, you're not fast enough to go down there, you have a personal protest against the thing. Yeah, but you're not gonna you're not gonna cost your your team wins. Well, several the, guys didn't. Oh, they had the opportunity. They said, no, they're just I'm slow. <laughs> no, no, no. They were just fast enough guys. Like when I first came in, I mean, they, they said no. I'm not gonna do that. I mean, a lot of guys might have done some personal protests, and a lot of it might have been. Just not, you know, realizing. I mean, you played baseball the same way your whole life. You don't really think about these things. So I can understand how uh, guys might not, you know, either be comfortable with it or not really, you know, think about it in the moment. So uh, there's certainly adjustment period. I don't love it. I don't hate it. I just think it's, you know, yeah. one of those rule changes that I, I wish wasn't implemented because it makes it kind of gimmick. Like I said, it's one of those things where I'm really on the fence about because on one hand, how much different is it from just a drop strike three? Instead, it's a wild pitch, and you can take first base. I, there's a pro and a con to it. Like it's, it seems fairly balanced. So I'm not necessarily against it. It's just it's a very odd thing. It just seems like you're saying awfully gimmicky. Where 
it was almost like in a major league boardroom. They said, oh, why don't, how about we try this? They're almost just like throwing darts at flips of paper with ideas. <laughs> and they hit steal first base. Yeah, why not? Yeah, why not? I mean, I just think that it, it does change games. It does have the ability to change games. I mean, if a guy's in a groove and, you know, it really does make pitchers mindful of making sure every pitch is at least within a certain area of a strike mm. zone. I mean, guys will try to throw, you know, curveballs sometimes that break way outside of the zone on 0-2 counts and, or even on, you know, 0-0 counts. And you really can't do that anymore because, you know, the ball gets too far past the catcher. You know that if that guy's got any speed, he's going to try to get down the first base. So I think that's interesting. Uh, but I think you make a good point that it's a little gimmicky. I don't know. There's, there is some level to it. I mean, you can certainly say if the guy's not fast enough, he's not going. And really, like you said, how much of a change does it make? I don't know. It just kind of is, like you said, gimmicky and. Exactly. Like, it's not the kind of thing that's going to happen that often. Like, maybe right. once a game. Mm-hmm. Maybe once a game. I mean, like, that's the thing. And there, like I said, there is that balance there. If it's a wild pitch or something spiked in the dirt, catcher didn't get to it, do you want to risk and go for that? Because especially, like, let's say there's one guy on second. Everybody, nothing else is, you know, occupied. Mm-hmm. And this one out. And he, oh, spikes yeah. a bu- he spikes a ball. Do you go down to, like, try and steal first? And in that time, you could try almost like a double steal where you have the runner from second go to third yeah. and make him make a decision. I mean, and that's, that's strategy and then yeah. another component to the game. But, again, I just don't – I don't like it because it takes away, you know, earning – you know, you, yeah. you have to earn a walk. You have to earn a base hit. It's, it takes a level of skill. It doesn't take a level of skill to, you know, just can't. I don't necessarily agree that you have to earn a walk. I mean, plenty of guys are intentionally walking to get to a different guy. Sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, but that's a level of respect, right? I mean, I'm not necessarily sure I would agree with that either. I mean, maybe it's just one of those things where I don't like the lefty lefty matchup. I'd rather go lefty righty. Sure, but that's a strategic move, right? Same thing here, though. I mean, not really, right? It's, it's strategic move to run or not run, but it's, like I said, it's just not the way that baseball is usually played. I know, it's different, and I'm not necessarily saying it's a bad thing because it's different. I mean, if there's a wild pitch on the third ball of an at-bat, a guy that's standing at first can still go down to second, so why not a guy that's at the plate pick first? I suppose it's a little line of logic there. I mean, which because it makes because sense. It's just not how you play baseball. No. I mean, that's not really a good answer, though. I mean, I think it's a good enough answer because let me let me put it this way: it's not that it, it's you know, oh, this isn't how we play baseball. It's just because there's no um, there's no idea that you can like I said, it changes the way pitchers are going to approach at bats. It changes the way catchers are going to approach at bats. As a catcher, it's not. I'm not talking about necessarily those uh, you know situations where you've got a guy on. You're talking about. I'm talking about the OO count. With nobody out, nobody on, pitcher's just trying to try some things. He's trying to get some uh, pitches over. He's trying to really start an inning strong, and it can really change. I mean, getting the, the first guy on in an inning is a huge difference. I mean, statistically, it shows that if you get that first guy on in an inning, it changes the entire inning. So if you get a guy on, you know, you throw, he throws a curveball in the dirt, it bounces over the catcher's head. The catcher's being a little lackadaisical back there, as catchers do uh, on OO counts when nobody's on. It changes the way that, that the entire inning can go and entire games can go if you've got a pitcher who's really dominant and he spikes one into the dirt and the guy takes first. See, I'm not necessarily against that, though. I mean, change is part of the game. And at the same time, if you don't want to be fast getting to a ball, that's on you. Plenty of things change to make a pitcher change the way they're looking at a bat. So if this is just another rule change on their aspect to it. I'm not necessarily against that either. 
I'm, I have a bigger problem with the pickoff rule that fundamentally changes the way they do their job, as opposed to this, where it's just throw better pitches. Yeah, but I mean, it's not throw better pitches. I mean, sometimes you're, you're trying to get guys out by striking, <laughs> by throwing balls in the dirt. Uh, well, then hope you, you have a good catcher back there. Yeah, I mean, hope you have a good catcher back there. I mean, it's it's just not a way that... You know, catchers have been trained and pitchers have been trained to, to handle these, these situations, particularly in that, oh, uh, the nobody out, nobody on situation. I think nobody on, it's more concerning. I think you have a solid line of logic when there's people on hmm. that to, to make that rule a little bit more nuanced, uh, maybe, because when there's nobody on, I think it's, you know, uh, catchers, guards are normally down and they've been playing hmm. this way, you know, their whole lives. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, boom, hmm. I got to really focus on this. So I understand how some people could be upset, but I certainly think your line of logic there is yeah. certainly strong. It's just, and I think the main issue I have is when people say, well, that's just the way it's been. That's a lazy cop out in my mind. Like way. what you're bringing up, it makes, it makes sense to me. I understand it. It's just, at the same time, it's, if you're playing the game, be ready to play the game. I get there's moments in every game where you're like, okay, I can take a second to breathe here while we get through this. But at the same time, it's like, well, it's, I don't really have a necessarily a problem with making them be like hyper focused for every pitch. I mean, I don't have a it's just with really it. like it's I don't understand. Really it's really hard to catch. <laughs> to catch. It's really hard. Like I get it. I respect that. It's yeah. just one of those things where it's like, well, I understand it, but yeah. I I don't really got a problem necessarily with it. Right. I mean, I, I think I think we're in agreement on that. Yeah. That there's there. I'm not like I said. I don't hate the rule. I mm. think it adds an interesting nuance to the game. Um, but I understand how some catchers can be like, give me a break. <laughs> you know, I get, I, it's easy to understand why they don't like it. Yeah. But I can kind of moving on. There's really two other rules I want to get to. Uh, the three batter minimums is the first one. And I think, I don't, I thought I was going to dislike it, but I do actually, I like it. I don't think it's a major problem. I think it cuts down on changes to the bullpen and everything where it's like, oh, okay. Our lefty guy didn't get him out. Go to the next guy. It just slows everything down. It takes you out of the moment. I like having it be, okay, you bring this guy in. You better hope either he can finish this inning, he doesn't get hurt, or, you know, he gets his three outs or he faces three guys. I like that. I think it adds more strategy to it. I think it adds more strategy. I think it adds more uh, more importance on bullpen guys. It's not as easy for bullpen guys to just say, nah, you know, I'll throw my three pitches a game, and, you know, if I don't, if I walk somebody on four pitches, then I'm done for the night, you know, like. <laughs> Yeah. I think that, like you're saying, it adds more strategy and it's less boring to see like five or six, uh, you know, pitching changes in two innings. Yeah, no, and it keeps the pace. I think it's my biggest thing. It, I don't necessarily want the game faster, but I want to keep a pace going. Right. I think that's what everybody kind of wants. Because a pitcher's duel is entertaining. A slugfest is entertaining. What's not entertaining is a 6-5 game that had 10 different calls to the bullpen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is not entertaining because most of this game is not actual, you know, strategy or play. It's having one guy walk to the dugout while another guy trots in. Yeah. <laughs> and that is just so boring to watch that. That can really get Especially, old. And I, I do like this one. I think this one was one of those changes where I can understand why this partnership was put in place to test things like that. I do actually like that one. Yeah, I like that one as well. All right. The last one I kind of want to get to here because we are running a bit long. Trackman. Trackman. Trackman is one of those issues where I've seen people go, burn it, bury it, and never bring it back. People going, it's good. I like it. I'm in the camp of, this thing just needs to be tweaked, and I'll be fine. I agree. I agree completely. You need, the Trackman will work eventually. Right? Yeah. It's not perfect right now. It's not a perfect system right now. 
you definitely need to have the ability for an umpire to override it, especially yeah. in big moments. Yeah. But I just think that this is the way it's going to go. I mean, like, let's be real here. This is the way it's going to go. There are too many arguments over balls and strikes historically and certainly today. Absolutely. We have this technology. If you can see on your TV screen, talking about more about a, yeah. uh, you know, like major league, league game. Yeah. Uh, if you can see on your screen where the ball, when it's a ball and a strike and the umpire is missing it, mm. you know, eventually it will. It gets reach. really tiring to see that. Tiring. And especially with a guy who misses the same spot every time because mm-hmm. it's not his quote unquote zone. Yeah. Uh, I think that that'll be, that's a really a problem. So uh, I agree. I think once they tweak it a little bit. Yeah. I can even live with the consistent, this is what the zone is today, because at least there's consistency, and as a pitcher you go, okay, that's what the zone is today, mm-hmm. I'll just try to adjust that. Now granted, it's very hard to do that as a pitcher when you're used to throwing a certain way, yeah. but you can at least attempt to do that. It's yeah. when there's no consistency in the strike zone, and something that's in the other's batter's box is a strike for someone, but a ball for another person, that's what the problem is. Yeah. And this is... At least in my mind, the trackman's goal is not for the little nitpicky ones that are riding right along the edge and it's tough to call. These are for the egregious things. Yep, absolutely. And I, and I like having an umpire being able to overrule it. I think that's important, too. However, I think it just needs to be a little tweaked. I don't think anyone that came in thinking it was going to be 100% perfect off the bat had a realistic expectation. There was always going to be issues with it from the beginning to the end of it. And more so than that, I think the communication needs to be better. I think for all of these roles, the communication just needs to be better. You have to give players more of a heads up that something's coming and allow them to prepare themselves for that. But especially with TrackMan, I think if the communication is just better, it worked more consistently, and you had umpires that still could call a decent game that had the power to overrule it, I think by and large it would work out a lot better than people have received it. I think it just needs that little bit of tweaking, and it'll be fine. Yeah, I think absolutely communication is key. Athletic League needs to tell players, needs to tell fans, needs to tell press. They need to get themselves together with their communication systems because they don't and they try to, you know, do the mound change and all of a sudden it happens like, you know, in the middle of the year and, you know, everybody's expecting it because they said it. But if it just happens and, you know, like players aren't really warned about it, just one day you get to the park and it's like, yeah. hey, here it is. You'd be like, what the heck? You know, like just saying, oh, yeah, no, we moved it back and moved it back a year. It's 2020, yeah. second half. Get ready for that. Have fun. Yeah, Go which at first I always thought, oh, well, it's better to have it in the second half because you can kind of gradually get better. But I kind of come around to the idea of, no, you're better off just having it from the get-go because you can get used to it throughout the year and yep. hopefully have figured out there's less of an adjustment period. If you're going to do it, do it, right? Yeah. Go all the way with it. Go That's the way. thing, too, with it. I My main qualm with it isn't so much that baseball's always been this length. Mm-hmm. My major qualm is this is going to ruin guys' arms yeah. for no purpose whatsoever. Mm-hmm. There is no real reason why you should do this outside of, it's going to be harder for a pitcher to throw really hard, but they're still going to try to do it. They're going to throw their arm out, and while they're throwing their arm out, the guy's going to rope it down the line for two. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. it's such a dumb idea on that level. I agree. It's going gonna, it's gonna to increase injuries, and all the guys who are really have a chance to make it back into the major leagues, they will be moving to, you know, other leagues, the Korean leagues, Japan, uh, you know, Mexico. They frontier now. Frontier now, that Super League. They're going to be jumping ship like crazy. American Association, especially. Like, absolutely not. They're not going to, you know, if you have a chance of getting back into the MLB or at least into, uh, you know, not independent baseball, affiliated baseball, 
there are guys who are not going to, you know, be they don't want to deal with it. A yeah. 35 year old guy that just still wants to play for the fun of the game is not going to deal with this BS. No. They're just going to say, screw it. I don't want any part of it. Yeah. I mean, uh, there'll be some guys who think it's a good idea, and but I think majority of people are going to go, err. Yeah. I think we kind of covered the role topic, and there's just one thing I want to get to left in this episode. Back in the start of the year, when we did our preview, we did hot takes, and we did kind of a preview of everything, and I have some of the interesting things from that, so I want to just recap them now that the season is now nice and dead. So we're going to just start here with the over-under we did. I gave you the over, or I gave you the number, and then you said it'll be over-under for wins. Mm -hmm. At Sugarland, we had them at 83 and a half wins. You took the over, it was under. Lancaster, you said 69 and a half. You said under. That was correct. They were under that. Ooh. Southern Maryland, 68 and a half. You took the over. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah, I was under. <laughs> yeah, whoops. This one's going to be bad. This one's going to be bad. <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> York, we put it at 48 and a half because we were really low yeah, on York because yeah. that pitching was really bad. It was and really bad. Up until the middle of June... It seemed to be pretty right. In my defense, it was really bad, I thought. Mm. You took the under on 48 and a half wins. They were clearly over. I again apologize to York Revolution and their fans. They're a fantastic ball club. I apologize. <laughs> Don't worry, it gets a little bit better on this division. Oh, Not by much, but better. Somerset and Long Island both had uh, 75 and a half. You took the over on both of them. Long Island, you were right on. Somerset... Not so much. Somerset still had a nice record. 69-69. I got close. Nice. Uh, New Britain, we had 53.5. We really had a schism here. I don't think I did a great job picking these numbers. You took the under. They were over on that. And then high point, 43 wins, or 43.5. You took the over, and they were clearly over. So you got half of them right on that front. Three out of eight. Not terrible. You know, you, you sometimes you swing, sometimes you miss. Yeah. <laughs> However, for the hot takes. Oh, like, boy, the hot takes I'm over three. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, your three hot takes were Jonathan East returns to the major leagues. Didn't nope. happen. Nope. James Loney wins the home run race, no. which, <laughs> man, that was bad. He retired after, like, one day. Yeah, he played, like, two weeks, and mm-hmm. I was like, eh, screw this. Yeah. And York only has 25 wins on the year. That one wasn't great. Apologize to York Revolution once again. Me, on the other hand, I did pretty good. Yeah, you were great. I mean, I had Somerset under 500 at the All-Star game. Now, if we would have reversed it, I would have said second half, I would have been spot on there. Yeah. But, you know, that was more of the flaming takes. Yeah. So I was wrong there, but I said Giancanti is not an All-Star. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, he wasn't. I, he I wasn't. think that was mainly due to him being hurt to start the year. I think so. I mean, he played better in the second half. I mean, not great, but yeah, better. he rebounded a bit. Yeah. And then I said high point makes the playoffs. Because I was really banking on that hot start with, like, just being enough. I didn't think they were. That's why I was like, eh, it's a hot take. Ooh, yeah. Go for it. Yeah. And, and it happened. Good job so, on that one. Exactly. So, weren't the worst hot takes, weren't the best hot takes, but they were hot takes. So, yeah. I think that's a good place to end off episode 33 here, unless you have anything else left to add. Uh, no, just want wanted to, again, say congratulations to Long Island, and I hope all fans of the Can-Am League are uh, very hopeful and excited for uh, the merger, and we'll be back next week to talk more about it. Exactly. When we have all the information, we'll talk to you about that then. Uh, quickly, though, I'm just going to plug the new article. It is going to be on possible independent league expansion. It's mainly going to be highlighting eight individual cities, why it makes sense for them, and what are the actual odds that they could get an independent league team. Is there any interest? Things like that. So take a look at that beginning part of next week. 
Monday, Tuesday, roughly around then. That article should be out and ready for you to view on IndieBallReport.com, where you can find all our articles, all our episodes, all our videos, and anything independent league ball report that you can find <laughs> that we put out is there. Uh, IndieBallPod on uh, Twitter. Follow us there. We tweet out a lot of stuff. I tweet out a helpful graphic that I made up last night about this potential merger or rumored merger, even though it's more of an open secret at this point. So you can take a look at that there. Also, all the episodes are pushed out through there. A lot of information comes through Twitter. It's our primary thing, so be sure to follow us there. On Instagram, IndieBallReport. Also, a lot of stuff gets pushed through there. We use that story function an awful lot. Interact a lot through Instagram, so follow us on there. Uh, you can find the podcast wherever you find podcasts, unless through Google. They just don't want to accept our bot for whatever reason, so we're going to try and get them to do that. But until then, basically, uh, if you can get a podcast anywhere else out of that, we're on there. So subscribe, rate, review, then you know the whole deal there. Take care of that. And seeing as we have nothing else left to add, we're going to end this show like we do every show. Don't forget to play false.